Hey, welcome to Whitestone. Welcome online. Um, we're going to continue this morning our series on the 23rd Psalm. And uh, it feels like it's been a while since I've done this. And so uh, I've only got three pages of, of tight notes, and then I wrote like on both sides of the paper. So we'll see how far this goes. But, but the text is pretty short um, that we're going to focus on this morning. And so hopefully, hopefully I don't lose anything in translation here. But let's read this text together. If you, it'll come up on the screen. It's the 23rd Psalm, and, and I would just invite you to read it with me out loud. And it starts this way. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray together. Father, uh, thank You for the promise of Your Word. Thank You for the promise here, and thank You for confirming Your promise through Jesus. A friend that sticks closer than a brother. You promised to never leave us or forsake us and to be with us even to the end of the earth. Even to the end of the age. We, uh, we are not alone. And with You, we will never be alone. And so I pray that uh, you would uh, give us the truth today to help us fight against the darkness that tries to convince us that we're alone. Because we're not. Um, speak to your people today. Um, speak to your people today in spite of the person who's doing the speaking. Um, and just penetrate the hardness of our hearts. Um, Break through maybe some cynicism. Um, I feel like uh, there's some people here that just need to believe again today that you're still on their side. I pray it would happen in Jesus' name. And if you agree with that, say amen. Amen. As we look at the 23rd Psalm this morning, we're only going to be looking at four words. How many words? Four words. In, uh, in Spanish, that would be how many words? That didn't sound like Spanish. I have no idea what y'all, said, what y'all just said. In, in Creole, that would be how many words, Francois? Cat. Be cat words. So four words, no matter how many languages we, uh, we go through, it's still the same. Four words, and these are the four words. Um, he restores my soul. First four words... Of chapter or of verse three, say, "He restores my soul." Period. Don't miss the period. Colby, don't miss that period. You know why that period's important? It means that sentence, that statement, stands on its own. It doesn't need anything else to go with it. He restores my soul. Period. In these four words, I want to give you at least four. Spiritual truths that I find in those. There's probably a million 
in these four words, but I want to give you four as a jumping off point. And who knows? I'm going to try to stick to my notes. Um, that's, that's, a, that's a change of pace. I'm going to really try to stick to what I have to say. Four spiritual truths based on He restores my soul. Period. The first one is this. At some point, every soul gets tired. Anybody tired in this place? Anybody feeling like a little less than the best version of yourself today? The Melhorns are just coming through with me, the class participation. Hands are going straight up back there. At some point, every soul gets tired and needs restoring. Some of you just need to hear that today. Um, not because you don't believe it. Because if you live long enough in this world, the world gets on you and you realize your soul's kind of being kind of sucked out of you. It's not that we don't believe it, but we don't believe that it's okay. It's okay to, to recognize the fact that your soul needs restoring. See, David was a man after God's own heart. He had a pretty um, thick pedigree when it came to things of God. A lot of things in his favor when it came to being high on the God chart. Okay, He was the second man in history picked out to be the king over God's chosen people. The first one was Saul. He kind of he messed it up. He didn't, he didn't follow God. And so God sends Samuel to the house of Jesse and says the king is going to come from this house. And, and Jesse parades the first seven of his sons in front of Samuel. And Samuel says, it's none of these. Do you have any other kids? And he has to go to the fields to get David, the youngest of eight boys. And God chose him to be king of his people. He did a lot of great things. You've done a lot of great things in your life. He did a lot of awful things. I don't know about you, but I've done a lot of awful things in my life. Um, doesn't change the way that God sees us. Doesn't change the fact that God wants to restore what the enemy tries to steal from you. Does anyone here ever beat yourself up thinking you should be further along than you are? I mean, in your career... In your, in your faith life, in your walk with Christ, in your parenting skills, in, in whatever it is. Do you ever just beat yourself up thinking you're just not as far along as you thought you would be at this point in your life? My invitation to you today is to give yourself a break. Give yourself a break and realize that at some point in everyone's life, they just get tired. And they have to just sit down for a while. And sometimes it's not just that. Sometimes we just make the biggest mistakes we could ever think about making. 
Sometimes we do the very thing we say, I would never do that. And guess what? God still wants to restore your soul. See, the same David, the same man who God picked out as a boy to be king, who wrote Psalm 23, also wrote Psalm 51 after he had spied another man's wife, decided it'd be okay for him to take her. And so he did. And as if that wasn't bad enough, he ends up having her husband killed. Pretty bad day. The same David that says, he restores my soul, period, also wrote in Psalm 51, 12, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. I've messed it up, God. I've lost it. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation and renew a, a right spirit within me because the spirit within me is not right. This was the man after God's own heart. If he recognized the need for restoration, we ought to recognize it for ourselves. This wasn't the only time that David needed restoration. Just read the rest of the Psalms, starting like Psalm 4, then go to Psalm 5, and then Psalm 6, and you'll, you'll read about David being stuck like with people like attacking him on all sides, and he's saying, God, where are you? Kill them, please. Help me. It's okay to admit that our souls need restoration. That's the first spiritual truth that I see from He restores my soul, period. The second one is this. It's not a one and done. It's not a one and done. It's not like a Kentucky basketball recruiting class. Okay? I did that for Kinsey because she's watching online and she loves it when I use sports analogies. What that means is a one and done in basketball is they're so good they come in and play for one year and then they go on and they make millions somewhere else. Okay? When it comes to our souls, it's not like we can just call out to God, hey, can you fix me once and then let me be done? Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be great if like, like we walked out of here and Mark's sermon was so great that, that like your walk with God was changed forever and you needed, never needed to confess anything again. You never messed up again. Like you just lived your whole life right there by the spout where the glory comes out. That's not how it works. It's not a one and done. It's not like it happens once. God restores us and then we're good forever. Instead, it's an ongoing process. It's called sanctification. If you're being spiritual about it, it could just be called living and making choices. Like trying to walk and take the next step and not mess up. Honoring God with your next decision ongoing process of our soul and our strength, our very faith being tested, faltering, stumbling, making a mess of things. It's called the human condition. And all it means is restoration is needed. See, my fear for some of you is this that you've grown content 
with your soul the way it is. You've grown content with, yeah, I don't, I don't have the spiritual gumption to want to, to want to. I don't, I mean, I'm okay with the way things are. I don't, yeah, I don't pray, but I'm all right. It's all right. You know, it's just that mediocrity of a broken soul. You notice I said that our, our souls and our strength and our faith stumbles and falters, but I never said it failed. See, John chapter 6, verse 39 says this, that Jesus will lose none of those that God gave Him. So even if your soul is in this like spiritually dead place, if you're in Christ, he is not going to he's not going to lose you. He's not going to leave you. John 10:28 words of Jesus, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand, including them. You are not big enough to snatch yourself out of the hand of Christ. So your spiritual apathy, if you find yourself in that place where you know there was a time where, where God redeemed you, where Jesus called you and you answered, but yet you find yourself sitting in a place where you just kind of feel spiritually dead, you're not big enough to snatch yourself out of His hand. One of my favorite passages is, is Jude chapter 1, verse 24, where it says, Now unto Him who is able to keep you from falling. He's able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless, clean, perfect before the presence of God. You think you're bigger than that? You think that your sin is bigger than His holiness? When He sets His affection on you, He's not going to let you go. And you know the most miserable place for a Christian to be? is in a place of spiritual apathy. Because if you don't know Christ, you don't have conviction. Sin's pretty fun sometimes. There's always a price to pay at some point. But once you know Christ, and you've tasted and seen that He is good, and then your soul is not what it used to be. Guys, don't get content with just living in that place. He's restored you before. He can restore you again. And He wants to. That word for restore is the, is the Hebrew word shub. S-H-U-W-B. Shub. And it appears in the Old Testament 952 times. Restore. 952 times in the Old Testament. The... He restores my soul. That word soul is the Hebrew word nephesh. It only appears in the Old Testament 750 times. The Bible talks more about restoration than it talks about your very soul. The state of the soul. Shub. It's translated a lot of different ways throughout Scripture. It can be restore like it is here. It could be return again. It could be recover. 
deliver. A lot of different ways. There are times in my life where, where I, all of those fit me. There are times I just need to return again. I need to, I need to be delivered from something. I was talking to Brock about this word this week in his office, and, and he described it this way. And I'm not putting words in his mouth, and this is my take on what he said, and so he might get up and preach this next week and say it a lot better than I'm about to. But this is what our conversation meant to me. He talked about this idea of restocking the shelves. Um, and as he talked, I had this picture, because I'm a visual kind of learner, okay? And so as he's talking, I'm visualizing my soul as like this warehouse full of shelves. I'm not that big a person, so maybe a 7-Eleven full of shelves, okay? But as, as he talked, I had, this, I had this thought of every time that we encounter someone in our lives that takes something from us. Some of you guys are just people people. You know that? You have the gift of being friendly, and so people suck the life out of you because you're friendly, Right? It's the, it's the downside of being a nice person. Keep doing it. I think Jesus likes it, okay? But every time we encounter someone in life that needs something from us or takes something from us. Angie and I bought these racks to go on top of our Jeep because we have these two paddle boards. And we were so proud of these racks. We never put the paddle boards on them because we couldn't figure out how yet, okay? But we're at Turkey Creek during Christmas in the middle of the day in front of the Target, and we come out and someone had stolen one of our racks off of the top of my... I felt so violated when people take things from us. It feels like the shelves of our soul kind of get emptier. Every time we fail, every time we make the absolute wrong choice at the wrong time, or we choose to put our affection or our time in the wrong place. Or we just give in to a temptation that we know we shouldn't give in to. Every time we make one of those, or name the train wreck of your life. That thing that every time you encounter it just wrecks, wrecks your life. Guys, every time that happens, something gets taken off the, the shelves of your soul. And if it's never restocked, you end up with an empty soul. Does that make sense? Restoration is a universal need for each of us. So what's my point? 952 times? It's not unique to you. It wasn't unique to David. It's not unique to me. We all share this need. The third spiritual truth is this that even though it's not unique to us, that doesn't make it hurt any less. Even though we, we all share this, it doesn't mean it doesn't hurt personally, does it? If you've heard me speak before, what's my pet peeve? Complaining. Um... Guess what my personal weakness is? Okay, don't make a big list. I'm just looking for one thing. And I really don't want you to start shouting them out, okay? 
I'm going to tell you. It's vulnerability. Letting people see my weaknesses. It's not, it's not that big a deal up here because really the only way I know how to preach is to make fun of myself. So I do that a lot here. But out there, like in normal land, when I'm walking around you know, in the, with the rest of the world, I feel like I'm supposed to have it together. You know? And, and if, I'm, if I don't, um, it's not a place I like to be. Um, last week I, was, I came and I sat up and and we had the baptistry out last week, and there wasn't any hot water. And, and during that whole process of trying to make that work, I just started feeling really, really bad. And so I couldn't even, I mean, I, I just got really weak, and so I went home. And I watched online, and I watched Brock get up here and just kind of bare his soul about how awful his life was. And so guess what I'm going to do right now? I'm going to talk about me. I'm going to talk about my. I'm going to do a Toby Keith song right now. I want to give you a snapshot of my life. I've shared a little bit of this. But it's kind of escalated since I spoke about it last time. Um, And I, I, I share this to say it's okay to not be okay. Because I keep having to tell myself it's okay. But I keep waking up thinking it's not okay. So... About two years ago, it was after the pandemic started, I ripped my house apart, okay? It's very beautiful right now. I mean, we've, we've survived that part. Home is kind of a sanctuary again, okay? But for like a year of my life, it was like every time I looked at the house, I got sick at my stomach because I thought, you did this. You, you tore this apart, and it's never going to look the same again. It doesn't look the same. It looks better, okay? So that's a good thing. But... That process started this kind of circling the drain thing for my soul. Remember, the title of this is He Restores My Soul. So this is going to turn out okay in the end, okay? But it doesn't have a nice little red bow on top of it just yet. And maybe your soul doesn't either. Um, Man, the pandemic started, and we kind of circled the wagons as a staff, and we tried to be creative, and we tried to be innovative, and, and, it, and I thought, I mean, I thought we did a decent job. But after a while, it wears on your soul. Um, isolation and just not being able to be with people really started leading me to question if I still knew how to fulfill my calling in a world like that. Um, we started out on the bright side, and I ended up on my backside. That'll probably be the next series of videos that we, Brock and I put out. It'll be on the backside. Um, just lost confidence. Did I still really even have what it takes to do this? Things that used to be easy weren't easy anymore. Physical sickness over an extended period didn't help didn't help at all. It just kind of fed this thing. But, but see, this is the deal. Missions is what I feel like God called me to do. And I couldn't do it. I couldn't, like I, I tried one time, like, and I almost died while I was there. I mean, it, it didn't turn out great. But just the idea that you can't go, like, 
You're used to going. It all, it all just kind of, kind of piled on to, to a depression. And I'm a pretty happy person. I've tried to live my life in such an ignorant fashion that things that are going on in the world don't get me down. I don't watch the news. I, I don't read. I don't, I'm not on social media. I don't want to know. There's enough going on in the, the lives of the people that I do know, enough to keep me busy. But I still try to... I mean, Kayla, my youngest daughter Kayla and I have this contest at our house. Who can be the goofiest? I usually win. But I wasn't winning anymore. It was like my smile, my laugh, my spiritual swagger. Yeah, I've got one of those. Or I, I used to. I would tell myself, suck it up. Um, just do your job. Be the person that everyone needs you to be. And the more I would put the, that kind of pressure on myself, it would just make it worse. And so it led to panic attacks in the middle of the night. So I'd start waking up in the middle of the night thinking like the walls were closing in. Couldn't like jump in. I mean, it's crazy. It's like I didn't know the person that I was. Paralyzing fits of fear. And I've talked to a lot of people with like, like struggling with, with just mental state of mind stuff. And I never really understood. It's like, well, stop. <laughs> Could you just stop thinking that way? Stop feeling that way? Think about this. In my fix-it mentality, it's like all that came cru like, like crushing in on me like, okay, fix this. You fi fix this. Restore your own soul. And that's when I realized it's impossible. He restores my soul. Only He does. And I think I'm coming out of it. And then yesterday happens. And I hear about John. Same guy that was driving me around the streets of Port-au-Prince, protecting me, got shot, got murdered on those very same streets. Lost a friend. Two young girls lost a father. Haiti lost a hero. And I'm thinking, here we go. Because life just keeps coming. It just keeps coming. And guys, that's why the truth of this passage is so important. Because He restores your soul. You can't do it. But He wants to do it. Let's diagram a sentence. Anybody like English class? Come on. Come on, let's bring it. Here's the sentence. He, say it with me, restores my soul. What's the subject? He. That's, that's the person making this happen. Who is he? It's not you. Correct? He restores. That's the predicate. That's the action verb. The action being taken by the subject is restoration.
My is the, de the determiner. They didn't say that when I was a kid. It's like the possessive adjective. Something like my, the recipient of the restoration is the soul. And it's your soul. The soul is the direct object. It's, it's being acted upon. Guys, it's not that complicated. He. Without He, there is no restoration. Yeah, you still have a soul. But unless He does the restoration, it's not going to happen. The fourth spiritual truth is this one. Simply that. The Good Shepherd is the only one who can restore. So how do, we, how do we get Him to do it? Why can't I just in the middle of the night, in the middle of a panic attack, immediately snap my fingers and make God restore my soul at that very moment? Because it's a process. Go back and read Psalm 51. David acknowledged his sin. He cried out to God. He cried out to God to wipe it away. He wanted to turn from it. He wanted to be clean on His inmost parts. Guys, my recommendation to you, if you feel like your soul is in a spiritual place of apathy, start crying out to God like David did in Psalm 51. Just start crying out to Him. Confess your sins. Turn from them. Trust in the goodness of the Good Shepherd. And then keep on doing it. It's not a one and done. In the New Testament, it looks like this in James chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. It says this Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep, and let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Be willing to do the hard work. Of repentance. Verse 10 Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. He'll lift you up. Guys, that's how it happens. How do we get to restoration? First, we cry out for it, and we do the things that we can do, realizing that we can't control the end product. All we can do is control us in the midst of it. Second thing I would recommend if you really want your soul restored is to realize it's not all about you. Stop being so self-absorbed. See, that list of mine, most of that was about me and about how I felt. Until I got to the end of it and I realized, no, there are people that need me to get through this. There are people that need me to be the person that God's called me to be. It's not about me. And it's not about you. Give up the idea that you're going to have a Dr. Phil show devoted to you. Where he's going to fix your problem in, in like 45 minutes. It's not about you. In Psalm 23, he restores my soul. The next sentence says, He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. He leads me 
in, in ways that make His name bigger. Your life, your soul, once it's restored, will scream the goodness of God. Even, even in Psalm 51, when He said, Restore unto me the joy of my salvation, He followed it up with, Then will I teach transgressors your ways. He's saying, don't just restore me for me. Restore me so I can help restore other people. It's not all about you. Third thing I would say about this idea of how do we get God to restore us is to realize He's already done enough. Let me give you a statement of hope. For some of you in here or somebody watching online that thinks you've gone too far, screwed up too much, hurt too many people. In Joel chapter 22, or chapter 2, verse 25, it's this beautiful passage. God says, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. I will restore to you the years that, have, that the enemy has taken away from you. A couple of verses right after that, guess what's promised? The Holy Spirit coming. It's going to be given to all people. Guys, we have hope because He can... He can make beauty out of ashes. And He wants to. I want to close with this. Because usually when I, when I preach any kind of Old Testament text, I try to tie it to a New Testament text. Because I think we have a responsibility to one another. So in Galatians chapter 6, just two verses, this is, this is what it says in verses one and two. Brothers, if anyone is caught in a, any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Did you catch that word? If anyone's caught in any bad stuff, you who are spiritual should restore them with a spirit of gentleness. When I say the word spiritual to you, does that have a good connotation or a bad one? My confession is when I hear somebody use the word spiritual, are you a spiritual person? Usually, that has nothing to do with the Holy Spirit. At least in the world. It's like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a person of faith. I'm a spiritual person. Usually what that means is they've built a, a belief system that fits their life, that makes them feel better about themselves. Just spiritual with a little less. It's, in my, in, it kind of makes, don't, don't tell me you're a spiritual person. Are you a spirit-filled person? That's different. Because that's what this is talking about. You who are spiritual Restore them. See, this passage, Galatians 6, comes right after Galatians 5. 
And Galatians 5 gives us the fruits of the Spirit. And, and Paul says people who live this way keep in step with the Spirit. And then he says, you who are those people, spiritual people, when someone's messing their life up, don't judge them. Restore them with a spirit of gentleness. So, some of you might be thinking, well, Mark, you spent all this time saying, he restores. We diagram the sentence, the whole thing. Yeah, he does. But guess what you have inside you? You have the spirit of the living God in you. You have something that David, that the people around David didn't have in the Old Testament. The indwelling Holy Spirit is in you. And so if we corporately, who are spirit-filled and are trying to keep in step with the spirit, see each other caught in something we're not supposed to be caught in, God through us can help restore them in a spirit of gentleness. Hmm. That passage ends like this. Verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens. I don't want you to feel sorry for me because I've gone through a hard time. But I would love it if you prayed for me. I don't want you judging me because I'm not as strong as I thought I was. But if you help hold my arms up, I wouldn't mind. That's Christian community. He restores our soul. Do you want your soul restored? Then cry out for it. Cry out for it. Realize it's not just going to be a one and done. And don't be so hard on yourself when you realize, yeah, I've kind of messed this up. Because he can restore the years that the enemies tried to steal. Pray with me. Father, um, my prayer over this, this place is for restoration. It's for people to just come to the point of, uh, of a realization that it's okay to not be okay for a season, but we don't have to be content with staying there because you, the Good Shepherd, want to restore our soul and you've proven yourself faithful and faithful and faithful again and again and again. And our sin doesn't have to define us and our weakness doesn't have to define us. Thanks for being better to us than we deserve. Would you restock the shelves of our soul? Um, as we continue to, to just kind of pick this this psalm apart, which kind of word by word, God, just uh, make every word jump off the page. And uh, let us want to be better. Because I know you'll meet us there. As we humble ourselves before you, you will lift us up. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's, uh, let's stand and worship and respond.